fine. A uh, couple things to pass along to you. We do have a holiday weekend coming up. I know some of you may be traveling this weekend, and our prayers are with you that you have a, a, a safe trip wherever you're going and uh, that you come back to us safely. Also, to remind you that we do have um, some things taking place, even though it's a holiday weekend. We have young adults tomorrow, and uh, so young adults, remember the time has changed from 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock, and you're doing a barbecue, right? Okay, so they'll have hamburgers and some things out here on the deck at 7 o'clock, so 7 o'clock for young adults. Also, on Friday is the OCC Sewing Day, 9 o'clock to 3 o'clock here at the church. They'll be over here in these rooms, and uh, so um, that is taking place on Friday. Uh, then men's prayer, 7 o'clock on Saturday morning, so guys come out. If you've got time to come and join us for prayer, um, it's a tremendous blessing to be able to do that. Sunday morning services, 8.30 and 10.30, we'll continue in our study in the book of Acts. As Paul has sent for the elders at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, and he's going to be addressing them for the very last time. We began to look at that address on Sunday. It's a very powerful portion of Scripture, at least it is, I know, for me as I read it, because Paul is really sharing his heart. He's pouring out his heart to these men that he really invested in when he was on his third missionary journey there in the city of Ephesus. And he has some very important things to say that I know is going to be a tremendous blessing for all of us on Sunday. So 8.30 and 10.30, we will be taking communion as well on Sunday morning. Invite somebody out to our services on Sunday. And uh, one of the things I do want to remind you, because it, it's come up a few times in the last week, but um, we do have our teachings that are available uh, a number of ways for you to listen. If you miss a service or you're gone for a week or whatever the case might be, um, because some have asked, you know, how is it that, you know, I can get the notes or something like that? Well, uh, you don't need to get the notes uh, because you can't, uh, I can't even know what my notes say anyway, so they make no sense um, to you. They won't. So, um, But anyway, uh, you can listen to the teachings a number of ways. Number one is on our website, um, webpage ccgreeley.com. You can go to the teaching. We have all our Wednesdays and Sunday teachings there on that um, link there on our webpage ccgreeley.com. Um, also, you can get, pick up a CD of the teaching that's available after the service. They make those, and so you can grab one of those and, um, and take it home with you. A third way is that we have an app, a Calvary, Calvary Chapel uh, smartphone app that you can download for free, and on there is all kinds of information, and also you can listen to the teachings, and I like that uh, because it's you know a time where perhaps I'm taking a walk or I am... Um, out in the garden weeding or whatever the case might be going for a run I can you know put on the headphones and just pull up a teaching and be able to listen to it on the podcast so those are different ways and of course we're also on the radio Grace FM and uh, at 3 30 in the afternoon so continue to be praying for the radio ministry as it's reaching a lot of people and touching a lot of people um, as they're hearing the teaching of the word of God not just from us and under the fig tree radio broadcast but all the Calvary guys that are committed to teaching the Word of God. That radio program and Grace FM is going to be expanding 
to the Colorado Springs area, El Paso County, uh, 101.7, starting in October, beginning of November. So be in prayer for that. We're really excited about that. So just wanted to pass that along to you. So be sure to look at your bulletin. There's a lot of things going on, ladies signing up for the ladies' study, uh, different things that take place during the week here at Calvary Chapel. I don't want to go through it all. Um, Also, what I want to do tonight is um, I just want to take some time uh, as uh, we know that uh, and we take time, particularly on Wednesday nights, to maybe talk about this. But actually, I want to spend some time uh, praying for our leaders. And uh, we're told to do that, especially in a time where uh, we were talking about perhaps military action in Syria and in the Middle East. And so you may not like our leaders. You may not agree with them. I understand that. But we are commanded. It's not suggested that we are to pray for them. So we do want to pray for wisdom, and we want to pray uh, for our nation, especially during this time. And I don't need to tell you what is in the headlines of the news. As, um, there is talk about a limited military strike on Syria, as um, it's pretty evident, and the evidence has come out and that um, Assad in Syria uh, used chemical weapons against his own people. And uh, it's something that uh, Israeli intelligence have been saying has been taking place in limited um, areas uh, throughout the summer. But um, so now there's a talk of, um, uh, you know, uh, airstrikes or perhaps cruise missiles uh, and different targets in Syria. So the debate goes on. I don't want to enter into that debate, but we do want to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And um, it's interesting. We know the scripture has a lot to say about future wars that will be taking place in the Middle East that uh, will uh, be, um, you know, centered around Israel. Israel is the focal point in the last days. We know that very clearly from the prophetic scenario that is given to us in the scriptures. And uh, so how it's all going to play out when Ezekiel 38 takes place, uh, we don't know. Uh, It's interesting as you look at that. Remember, Ezekiel, as he was prophesying 2,500 years ago, that he was um, telling us in Ezekiel 36 as a prophecy of the nation blooming once again. That's Ezekiel 36. Uh, And then the nation, you know, uh, coming to birth once again. That's Ezekiel 37. And there's been partial fulfillment in that. The ultimate fulfillment will be in the millennium reign. But we know that Israel has come and become a nation once again. The land has blossomed once again. Uh, The desert areas, it's it's a very beautiful place. If you go there, you see pictures of Israel. And so the next thing is Ezekiel 38 that talks about that large invasion of Israel uh, against them uh, from Russia and from Iran. And it seems like as we watch it and, uh, and we look at it, the pieces of the puzzle and those alliances certainly that are spoken of there in Ezekiel chapter 38 are uh, coming together. Um, they're hostile towards Israel. Where Syria fits in all that, it, Syria is not mentioned in Ezekiel chapter 38, just so you know. There is a prophecy concerning Damascus in Isaiah chapter 17 that talks about Damascus is going to be uh, utterly destroyed, no longer being a city. 
Now, one of the things that Damascus is known for, and they would print this even in their brochures for tourists that would come, and nobody's going there to tour the area anymore because of the Civil War, and it's been a terrible Civil War. Over 100,000 people have been killed, but they used to say that Damascus was the oldest continuous city in the world, over 3,000 years old. You see, Jerusalem is 3,000 years old, but Jerusalem has been destroyed and then rebuilt, destroyed and then rebuilt. And so Damascus has been a continuous city, and uh, the prophet Isaiah spoke of that time where it will become a ruinous heap, um, that um, it will be destroyed. So when that is going to happen, we don't know exactly. It is interesting when you look at the war of Gog and Magog of Ezekiel 38, which is different than the battle of Armageddon at the end of the tribulation period, or Daniel's 70th week, Syria is not really mentioned, and Damascus is not mentioned at all. So when is Damascus going to be destroyed? We don't know exactly. Um, only, you know, we'll, you know it, it will happen because the prophecies will come to pass. Um, what is the prelude that's going to lead to Ezekiel 38 with Russia and Iran and, um, you know, Kush and, and, and some of those Islamic nations with this massive invasion into Israel? We don't know exactly. Only God knows. And, and is the events that we're seeing now, all the unrest in Egypt and in Syria, is that leading up to a prelude to Ezekiel 38 to be fulfilled? Uh, we don't even know. We cannot say dogmatically exactly when Ezekiel 38 is going to be fulfilled. We do know that it has not been fulfilled. We know that in Ezekiel 38 talks about that it will be in the last days, so it is yet a future war. It is different than the Battle of Armageddon. It will take place before the Battle of Armageddon, but will it take place before Daniel's 70th week or the tribulation period? There are some scholars that believe that it very well could happen. Um, one of the keys when you talk about Ezekiel 38, when you talk with your friends about it, there's a couple keys about it. Number one is this large confederation of nations, Russia and Iran, and, um, and Turkey seems to be involved in, and Sudan and some of those Islamic nations in northern Africa, that uh, when they come against Israel, that Israel is going to be in a place of safety. Remember that, okay? And in Ezekiel chapter 38, let me just read it to you. Um, and you can read it tonight before you go to bed, or, or in Ezekiel 38, you can read it at another time. But here's the key. In the prophecy, in verse 11, it says that you will say, I will go up against a land of unwalled villages. I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates, to take plunder and to take booty, to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited and against a people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods, who dwell in the midst of the land. Sheba, Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish. Who's Sheba, Dedan? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about the queen of Sheba tonight, aren't we? And Dedan is talking about the area of Saudi Arabia, uh, the, the, um, talking about the merchants of Tarshish, very well could be speaking about um, some of the western countries and uh, their young lions. Perhaps this could be the only reference to America that we have in a prophetic scenario. Um, and again, there's some debate in that, but Tarshish may be speaking about Great Britain and their young lions that would include the United States. And they are protesting, saying, have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to take great plunder? So here's the thing. 
God says, I will put a hook in their jaw and bring them in. Second of all, it's during a time when they're dwelling safely. So there are some Bible scholars that say that that Ezekiel 38 will take place at the beginning of the tribulation period when the Antichrist has come on the scene and made a covenant with many for a week. That is, he comes on as a peacemaker. So some suggest that perhaps it will be during that time or in the middle of the tribulation period. So we've talked about this. Um, I don't want to get into it in detail. I make reference to it if you're more interested in our teaching of Ezekiel chapter 38, and you can sign up for it at the information desk if you want to uh, hear that study in detail. But are these events leading up to Ezekiel 38? We don't know. But we do know this, that Israel is going to be more isolated. Israel is going to be more hated. And, um, and we do know uh, that there's going to be great, great upheaval in the Middle East, uh, not because Pastor Jeff says so, but because God's word declares it, and we're going to see it, and we are seeing it. It is something that we don't know what's going to happen if military action is going to take place against Syria, what's going to be you know, the aftermath of it. Um, we don't know. Uh, will Syria try to, it's interesting as you listen to the leaders of Syria that continue to dig in their heels and deny that they used any weapons of mass destruction against their own people. They said if there's any attack by America, we will attack Israel. Um, it's interesting that the uh, you know, leaders of Iran have said that if the United States attacks Syria, we're going to attack Israel. And it's interesting because those of you who have been around long enough, like me, you remember in the first Gulf War when uh, President Bush, um, you know, got that coalition uh, together to go against Saddam Hussein who had invaded Kuwait? And when they were trying to negotiate, you know, a peaceful settlement before military action was taken, that the foreign minister of Iraq, they asked him, what are you going to do if the United States goes into Kuwait and attacks you? He says, we're going to attack Israel. So it's interesting. Menachem Begin said something real interesting. He says, Gentiles kill Gentiles and they blame the Jews. And that's something that you see because of that anti-Semitic um, mindset that is throughout the world. And, of course, the Bible speaks of that because God does have a plan for Israel. And we do know that Israel is a focal point in the last days and, um, and that it will be a cup of trembling to all the nations, and particularly Jerusalem. So that's why we watch it, and that's why we talk about these things. Um, what's going to lead up to Damascus being destroyed? We don't know the events, but we do know that it's going to come to pass, just as the Bible says. When exactly it happens, we know it will take place before the second coming of Jesus Christ. So a lot going on, but we do want to take time, pray for leaders. Again, I don't want to get into uh, a long uh, Bible study. Um, if things continue, the upheaval, and we see things happening, perhaps we'll take a Wednesday night and review some of these things, because I want you guys to be wise. I want you to be able to minister to others very wisely and be able to show them from Scripture, you know, what God has to say that's going to take place in the future. You know, some people, I, I heard, um, you know, um, you know, they're uh, interviewing some people, you know, on uh, one of the news channels and said, what in the world's going on? Um, and what's the world coming to? Well, we have some insight to what the world is coming to. 
And um, we know that Jesus Christ is coming back. And I believe that we are in the last days. And you can take your newspaper and read it. You can take your Bible and read it. And you can see that it's all lining up just as the Bible said. And every dot and tittle will be fulfilled. And as I mentioned to you on Sunday, as we were going over that lesson about Eutychus that fell asleep in the window and he fell out and he died, this is not a time to fall asleep, all right? This is an exciting time for you and I to be sharing about what it is that's going to happen in the days in which we're living in and to be wise and watching as commanded by our Lord um, in the days in which we're living. And Jesus said, I come at a time when you're least expected. So be the wise and faithful servant that is looking for the master's return. It has been unfortunate that there are um, many Christians and there are many evangelical churches that believe in what is called the replacement theology. And that is that God doesn't have a plan for Israel, that God is through with Israel, and, um, and that um, they don't play a factor in them becoming a nation. It's just a coincidence. And, um, and that is not what the Bible declares to us. God has made a covenant with them. He said, I will bring that covenant to pass. And we know that many of the prophecies that uh, are given to us in the Old Testament as we go through the Old Testament um, have been given to Israel, and God will see them through. And God has a plan for them. He has a plan for the church, and he has a plan for Israel to open up their eyes to well, one day they're going to recognize that Jesus is their Messiah. And that's kind of a prerequisite, if you would, for Jesus coming back that God's going to be pouring out their, his spirit on them because Ezekiel 38, you have the battle Gog and Magog, Ezekiel 39, the cleanup of that battle, and then you see God pouring out his spirit on the nation of Israel, and they will say, as Zechariah uh, prophesied, that as they mourn for Jesus, where did you get those wounds? And he will say, I got them in the house of my friend. Jesus, you remember when he wept over Jerusalem in the gospel narratives? That he said, you will see me no longer until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He was speaking about when he comes back again. They will have their eyes opened up. And Paul says in Romans chapter 11, that in that day, that all of Israel will be saved. So to say that God is through with Israel, to me, is not biblical at all. And it's a misunderstanding of the scriptures. So we watch the scriptures, be wise, um, and we're going to be watching the events that are taking place. But we do want to take time to pray for our leaders. As Lord, we do that right now. We ask that um, they need wisdom. And, um, and I know that we get frustrated as we see um, that so many of our leaders have pushed you out, perhaps out of their own personal lives. And certainly as a nation, we've been doing that more. But Lord, just as we've been talking about going through and David who, who would write some trust in horses and chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord. How we need you. How we need you, Lord, in this nation and, and our leaders need wisdom. So we pray that wisdom would be given to them. And Lord, that they would humble themselves and soften their hearts and look to you and seek you. And Lord, um, we know that this is a terrible war that's going on, the upheaval in the Middle East, and Christians are being caught in the middle of it. Churches being burnt in Egypt. We know that Christians are being killed in Syria. We know that innocent children and women are being uh, gassed, and, and we look at the horror in the pictures. And it is, Lord, um, just unbelievable that anyone would do that. But, Lord, we know that there's great darkness and evil in this world. So we do cry out, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord. 
that you would establish your kingdom. But also we know that what your word declares and we know that your word will come to pass. So Lord, we pray that as Christians that we be watching. Lord, that we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That Lord, we pray for our nation, that our nation would wake up and there would be revival. Just as we saw last week in chapter 7 of Second Chronicles. That we would humble ourselves, turn away from our wickedness, call out to you, Lord. And we know that you will heal our land. And so, Father, we just lift this all up to you, that we would be wise in talking with people, telling them that your word is true, that, Lord, that you're coming back soon, and that people need to repent and turn to Jesus Christ. Lord, bless this time as we take a few minutes to study chapter 9 of Chronicles to just teach us and show us the things that you want to. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So we read in Second Chronicles chapter 9 that when the Queen of Sheba heard the, of the fame of Solomon, that she came to Jerusalem to test Solomon with hard questions, having a very great retinue of camels and bore spices and gold in abundance and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. So Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for Solomon that he could not explain it to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table and the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers and their apparel, and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. So the queen of Sheba is a familiar portion of scripture to a lot of us as she comes to Jerusalem. We know that in chapter 1 of Second Chronicles that the Lord appeared to Solomon for the first time. And the Lord asked Solomon, what do you want from me? What do you desire, Solomon? And Solomon said, I'm inexperienced. I'm young. I don't know my coming in. I don't know my going out. This is a great nation that I am to, to rule over. Please give me wisdom. And God was pleased with that answer. And so he said, Solomon, because you did not ask for anything for yourself, I'm going to give you great wisdom and understanding, and I'm going to bless the nation as well with great prosperity. And we know that at this time, after the building of the temple that took seven years, and the building of Solomon's house, which took another 13 years, that they are experiencing their greatest wealth and, and prosperity and power in their history. I mean, great wealth that we see here. So much wealth that silver was of no value, really, that it was as common as rocks in Jerusalem, as we're going to read here in this chapter. And we know that Solomon, that he raised up a great workforce to build that temple that was overlaid with gold. And after that, after he accomplished all that was on his heart, we know that Solomon would display that wisdom. He displayed that wisdom in the building of the temple and in this workforce that was nearly 200,000 people working on the temple. And then also he is showing great wisdom as the leaders of the world, as we're going to read in this chapter, are coming to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And one of those is the Queen of Sheba. Now, a lot of us have read this chapter and we're familiar with uh, this story. She comes and when she comes, she's bringing gold and, and spices and, and precious stones uh, to give to Solomon. Now the question is, as she comes to Jerusalem, is where does she exactly come from? Uh, many have suggested and many have taught 
that the Queen of Sheba, that she's from Ethiopia. And that's a possibility. And it is interesting, if you go to Israel today, there are Ethiopian Jews that are in Israel that have come from Ethiopia, and, and they were um, coming to Judaism about this time that Solomon is reigning. So they trace it back to about 1000 B.C. when, when those in Ethiopia were becoming converts. And so some suggest that it was because of the Queen of Sheba. But most scholars believe that being the queen of Sheba, that she is from Arabia or Sheba. Now, I was reading to you from Ezekiel 38, Sheba and Dedan. Whenever you read that, as you can trace it clear back to the book of Genesis, chapter 11, that is talking about that area around Saudi Arabia and, and uh, Yemen and in that area. So it is believed that probably the queen of Sheba here is from that area today called Yemen uh, that's even in the news today that's you know because of the terrorist activity but she's from that area and scholars and historians will tell us that at this time in history that um, you know Sheba was fairly a wealthy kingdom and it was known for its spices and having a lot of gold as well so here she travels about 1,500 miles, and even though she has this entourage of, of servants and she's bringing spices and gold and camels and, and all these gifts to bring to Solomon, and she would have many servants with her, this is not an easy trip. This is 1,500 miles across the desert, and if you've ever been in that area, it is desert. It is hot. Um, it is very hot, very dry, very barren, and so it would be a hard, difficult journey that she makes as she expends the energy to come to Jerusalem to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Now, we can stop there and we can make application because how much effort do we make to hear the wisdom of God? Now, I know that I'm preaching to the choir tonight because it's Wednesday night and you guys are here. And there's a lot of other things that you could be doing. You could be resting. You've had a hard day work. Uh, you're tired, but you've chosen to be here to hear the wisdom of God. But what my prayer and hope is is that we would take the time, we would expend the energy to hear the wisdom of God because we have God's word. And we need to remember that this is godly wisdom that is given to us. And to remember this, that as Paul would write in Colossians chapter 2, that in him, that is in Jesus, is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And we know that Solomon, that he had the wisdom of God. Jesus is the wisdom of God. That he is the word. And in him is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So if we need spiritual wisdom and knowledge, we go to the word of God. We go to the Lord. And he is the source of that wisdom and understanding that we need in our lives. And what my prayer and hope is, is that we would continue to be students of the word of God. You remember that also in Colossians chapter 2, that Paul the Apostle would warn us about being cheated. If we go after man's philosophy and, and the traditions of men and empty deceits and, and those things that are not according to Christ. And the reason is, is because man's wisdom, and there is a difference between godly wisdom and man's wisdom, worldly wisdom. And worldly wisdom, first of all, is, is deceptive. It changes all the time. Um, God's 
word is true, and it never changes. So we can stand on the promise of God. We can stand on the principles and the truths that are given to us as this book tells us how it is that we live, how we can live that abundant life, come to salvation. It reveals God to us. It has answers for us in every area of our lives. And I really believe, I'm a strong believer in knowing the word of God and the work and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to bring us that abundant life. But unfortunately, what has happened is the church has dabbled with you know, uh, worldly wisdom and bringing in worldly things into the church. And what my prayer for all of us is that we would stick to the scriptures and that we would know him because in him is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and that we wouldn't be cheated by the world's philosophy because the world can lead us astray and will eventually lead us astray. So here is the queen of Sheba, she makes this effort and she comes to to hear the wisdom of Solomon. But I also want us to take note of verse 4 that she was blessed, not by just the food on the table, but the servants, the service of the waiters and their apparel, the cupbearers and their apparel. Um, she was very blessed and it's going to be mentioned again in verse 7 in her response to Solomon, how blessed that she was and how happy are these servants of yours. What I really emphasize to those who are serving in whatever capacity it is here at Calvary Chapel that when people come to this house of the Lord that, that we serve others and people would be blessed by it. And it is a blessing when you come in and we have the greeters that are there handing out bulletins and greeting you and saying hello to you. And then we have those that are in place in the nursery and in the children's ministry and at the desk there helping you sign in kids and those who are in place at the coffee shop. Here's the serve you and it's a blessing. So I want to encourage you who serve that as you do those things that it's a blessing to others as they come into this place. And always take your service to the Lord and what you're doing for the Lord very, very serious. That is, don't think that it's, it's not important. Don't think that it's insignificant. No, it's a blessing. It's a blessing to those who come to see you as you stand ready to serve them and reach out to them and minister to them, to them minister to their kids, minister to, to you know, others that are here in whatever God has called you, wherever he has placed you. And you're a blessing to them. So here she talks about the blessing of the servants that are here and that we would always be ones, I pray, that are in place and ready to serve others, ready to just be a blessing to others, whether it's on Wednesdays or Sundays or other times that we have opportunity to be able to do that. So here's the Queen of Sheba coming to Jerusalem and her response is she said to the king in verse 5, it was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe their words until I came and saw with my own eyes and indeed half of the uh, greatness uh, of your wisdom was not told me. You exceed the fame of which I heard and happy are your men and happy are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom and blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you setting you on his throne to be king for the Lord your God because your God has loved Israel to establish them forever therefore he made you king over them to do justice and righteousness so the response of the queen blessed be the Lord your God so did she become a believer or is she just acknowledging that Solomon's God, Israel's God, is great? Uh, I think that uh, she very well could have been a believer. 
Um, we know that Jesus commended her. You recall in Matthew chapter 12, verse 42, as Jesus was rebuking those cities of the Galilee, uh, Capernaum, Chorazin, Bethsaida, he said, woe to you. You've seen the miracles that I've done. You, they heard Jesus teach and preach with great authority, yet for the most part they had rejected him. They only wanted a material political king. That's why they were coming to him. And so they began to to walk away from Jesus, as you read in John's Gospel, chapter 6, as Jesus was saying that you guys are just coming to me for bread. You need the bread from heaven, and that's me, the bread of life. And come and eat of me and drink of me. And they said, ah, this is too hard. This, we're going to walk away. And they begin, the crowds begin to thin out after that. And so Jesus, as he, in Matthew chapter 12, would rebuke those cities that had seen such great miracles that he had performed. He would speak about the queen of Sheba. He said, the queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemned it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, for indeed a greater than Solomon is here speaking of himself, because Jesus is the wisdom of God. You know, they heard the word. They heard God in the flesh speaking to them. And it's amazing. But you know what? We have the word of God that's for us. And I hope and pray that we would never harden our hearts to it. And the other thing that I want to encourage you in is we talk about in him is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Sometimes that we will talk to somebody who perhaps is skeptic about the scriptures or about the Lord or uh, the things of God. And they'll come against, you know, the word of God. They'll, They'll question it. They'll try to confuse you. They'll say, oh, you know what? God didn't create the heavens and the earth in six days. It came through millions of years of evolution. And, and there are some people that we can talk to that are very, very intelligent, very smart, really have you know, uh, their act together intellectually. But I'll tell you this, that they're not smarter than God. Always remember that, okay? Because sometimes people will be you know, thrown for a loop, and particularly if, if you guys are up on the college campus and you get a professor that begins to you know, dismiss the Bible, dismiss the things of the Lord or, or Jesus Christ being the Lord, um, and, and they'll make their case or say things or uh, they'll try to, to come up with intellectual arguments to confuse you, whatever it might be. And the thing is, nobody is smarter than God, all right? And you might think, oh, this person is smart. Man, they make sense. Well, they're not smarter than God. And so really get into the Word of God and be ready to give a defense and and be established in the Word of God because the Word of God is absolutely amazing. And as you go through the Word of God, you see that it can stand the the test of, of, you know, as we run it through, of truth. And, and what is true. This is absolute truth given to us. God breathed. All scripture is inspired by God and is given and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So we have the word of God and this is true and we can stand on it and we know uh, that the word of God is true for us. So here is the Queen of Sheba coming to hear the wisdom of God through Solomon. We continue reading as we read in verse uh, 9. 
um, as I read it to you, uh, she's saying, Blessed be the Lord your God. And then verse 10, Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold, spices in great quantity, and precious stones. There never again came such abundance of spices as the Queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. And also the ships of Hiram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought great quantities of Olmug wood and precious stones from Ophir. And the king made steps of the Olmug word wood for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, also harps and string instruments for singers. And there never again came such Olmug wood, nor has the like been seen to this day. Now King Solomon gave the Queen of Sheba all she desired, whatever she asked, beside what Solomon had given her according to the royal generosity. So she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. So we see here that the exchange of gifts between Solomon and the Queen of Sheba, and uh, even though she brought many gifts, uh, what she received from Solomon was much more than she had brought for Solomon. But I think that she was blessed more than anything than then the gifts and the material gifts that Solomon brought to her is that she was blessed because she received the wisdom of God. Do you realize that when you give people the truth of God's word, you're giving them something that's more precious than anything that is in this world? When you give them Jesus, that is more valuable than any gold or silver or any money or any gift or any precious thing of this world that you can give to somebody when you give them truth, when you give them Jesus, when you give them the Word of God. And don't underestimate that. We know that it was in Psalm 19 that David wrote that the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And more to be desired are they than gold and sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. The Word of God, he's saying, is, is to be desired more than gold and more than honey in the honeycomb. And we are to have a desire to, to learn the Word of God, to have the Word of God in our hearts, and to be able to give that to others. I hope and pray that we have that spiritual perspective. So she was blessed because she had received gifts, but more than anything, that she had heard the wisdom of God. And now it talks about Solomon's great wealth, verse 14. The weight of gold that came to Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold. Besides that, from the traveling merchants and from the income of traders and from all the kings of Arabia and from the governors of the country. So Solomon here, it speaks of um, Solomon's wealth. And it's interesting as it, it speaks of um, his yearly income was 666 talents of gold. Isn't that an interesting number? Now it came from, first of all, from ships that were going over to Tarshish and Ophir that were bringing back an abundance of gold. Also, as we're going to read, that they were bringing back some more spices. They were bringing back ointments that were expensive. They were bringing back exotic animals. And the reason they were doing that is because Solomon was having these extravagant parties. You know, parties that would, you know, probably the people in Hollywood today would envy with all the exotic animals and everything else. Also, we know that he was taxing the merchants and the traders that would come through his kingdom, through Israel. Because Israel geographically sits in a very interesting place. It sits right where Europe and where Asia and North Africa meet. And so the traders from North Africa, from Asia Minor, from um, over in Arabia, um, in all the areas uh, would come through Israel. So he would tax them very heavily, 
Plus, keep in mind that he was taxing his people very heavily as well. And keep that in mind when we go into chapter 10 next week and we see that the people are going to come to Solomon's son, Rehoboam, and said, ease up on the taxing and the burden that you put on us. And we'll read about that next time, the response of Rehoboam to the people, which a lot of you know is going to cause a split in the nation. So anyway, Solomon here is accumulating gold for himself. And it's interesting, 666 talents of gold. Now, why would the Holy Spirit record that number for us? I don't know. Except that we should pay attention. And we know that 666 is the number of man, isn't it, according to Revelation chapter 13. And it's also the number of one, a leader that will come on the scene, that he is called the Antichrist. And Revelation chapter 13 says that his number is 666. Now, I'm not saying that Solomon is the Antichrist. But here's something to chew on, all right, and think about. Solomon, he was a man of peace, wasn't he? David, you're not going to build the temple. Your hands are bloody. Your son, the man of peace, is going to build the temple. And so Solomon was a man of peace. There's great peace during this time. The Antichrist is going to come riding on a white horse, according to Revelation chapter 6, and he has a bow but not an arrow. He comes as a great peacemaker. He makes a covenant with many, as Daniel chapter 9, verse 27 tells us, that is with the Jewish people for one week, that is seven years. That's where we get Daniel's 70th week. Again, I refer you to Daniel chapter 9. The last four verses of Daniel chapter 9 are very important for you and I to understand as we want to really understand the prophetic uh, scenario and timetable that is given to us in the Scripture. The Antichrist will come on the scene Daniel's 70th week, or that is the tribulation period, will begin with the Antichrist making a covenant with many, that is the Jewish people, for a week. So he's going to come, and it seems like he is a peacemaker, a great peacemaker, as a bow but not an arrow. He's going to come conquering and the conquer. So the world's going to look at him as a man of peace. Interesting, Solomon, we know that he had great wisdom. It is repeated in the scriptures that the Antichrist, particularly in the book of Daniel and in the book of Revelation, but also in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that the Antichrist is going to be a great orator according to the world. That he speaks great things. In other words, you know, today we were remembering uh, Martin Luther King's, uh, his famous speech, If I Have a Dream, 50 years old. And our nation was remembering that in that speech, that great speech that he gave 50 years ago. And they were kind of talking about, and I was reading a little article about some of the great speeches that uh, have been, you know, said in our uh, nation and then even in our history. Winston Churchill was a great orator, Abraham Lincoln, um, others, you know, that uh, were great communicators, Ronald Reagan. But the Antichrist, it says over and over again repeatedly in Daniel, Revelation, and other portions, he's a great orator. In other words, he's going to come and the world's going to say he speaks great things. Man, the wisdom that he has, what he is saying, and they're going to embrace him. But it's going to be blasphemous things according to God. So here is Solomon that's got godly wisdom. The Antichrist is going to bring a false wisdom, but the world will embrace it. Solomon builds the temple. The Antichrist is going to make a covenant which is going to enable the Jews to rebuild the temple, which is called the Tribulation period, uh, Temple. Kind of interesting, isn't it? The Antichrist is like a 
a man that was, you know, coming on the scene wanting to do good and ended up being corrupted, he's going to be directly influenced by Satan, as the scripture says. We know that Solomon, he starts out well, but soon he's going to turn his heart away from the Lord and begin to worship false gods. So again, I'm not saying that Solomon is a type of the Antichrist, but anything, if we get anything out of this tonight as we look at this, that the number of gold was 666 talents, is don't let the things of the world dominate you or draw you away from the Lord. And it isn't having money that's evil, it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. It's when we make those things a priority in our lives and it takes us away from the Lord, becomes an idol. It takes us away from um, the things of the Lord. And, and um, so the Bible has a lot to say about warning us about the love of money that's the root of all evil. So kind of an interesting number that's thrown out there. I thought I'd just give that to you to kind of think about. And, and um, you know, so... He's got all this gold that he's accumulating. Let's continue on in verse 15. Uh, Besides that, from the traveling merchants, as I mentioned, from the income of traders, from the kings of Arabia, from the governors of the country, and King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold. 600 shekels of gold went into each shield. He also made 300 shields of hammered gold. Three minus of gold went into each shield. He put them in the house of the force of Lebanon. The house of the force of Lebanon is Solomon's house. It's his mansion that he had. So he makes these 200 shields that are huge shields. They're not for battle because they're too big to carry, you know. Uh, They're made of gold. You can't even carry them. They're so heavy. They're just for display. They're just for show. And then he has 300 smaller shields that he has on display there. And moreover, moreover, the king made a great, as verse 18 says, throne of ivory and overlaid it with pure gold. And the throne had six steps, and the top of, of the throne, um, as we read here in um, chapter 10. Did I tell you chapter 9 when we started? We're in chapter 10, you know that. <laughs> We're in chapter 10. of. I'm in First Kings. Do you know that? Let me back up. Am I got you guys all confused? <laughs> Chapter 9. All right. Did you know that I was in 1 Kings? <laughs> That's embarrassing. Anyway, let's go to verse 17 of Second Chronicles chapter 9. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory. Oh, boy, that's one for the records. And overlaid it with pure gold. And the throne had six steps with a footstool of gold, which were fastened to the throne. There were armrests on either side in the place of the seat. It two lines stood beside the armrest. And twelve lines stood there, one on each side of the six steps. Nothing like the, this had been made for any other kingdom. What I'd like to know is how many of you didn't know that I was reading from First Kings, that, that <laughs> section. And I, ha- I had kind of a place for a reference, but anyway... Back to Second Chronicles chapter 9. He had this throne that was made of, of, of ivory, which would be very beautiful. And then Solomon overlaid it with gold is what he did. Now, why would he do that? I don't know why he would do that, except that I know for me, what, you know, having ivory there would be very, very beautiful. And overlay it with gold would seem to be kind of a waste, wouldn't it? I don't want to waste God's blessing. 
What he has blessed us as a church, what he's blessed us here at, you know, at Calvary Chapel, what he's blessed us you know, personally, we don't want to waste God's blessing. We want to be a good steward of what God has given to us. So here is the throne of Solomon that is, is spoken of. And, and as we continue on in verse 20, all King Solomon's drinking vessels were gold and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold, not one was silver. And for this was accounted as nothing in the days of Solomon. For the king's ships went to Tarshish with the servants of Hiram, and once every three years of the merchant ships came bringing gold, silver, ivory apes, and monkeys. So again, here's Solomon. He has these ships. Now, the Jews were not uh, seafaring people. They didn't like the sea. They, they fished the Sea of Galilee, which is a lake. So here's Hiram. He has some merchants, and they're going over to Tarshish. Tarshish, does that ring a bell with you? Tarshish? Remember Jonah? that he was supposed to go to Nineveh, he gets on a boat to go to Tarshish, doesn't he? He's going the opposite direction. Tarshish at this time in history was kind of a fantasy land. So here were these ships going over there to bring these exotic animals and more gold. And King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. In verse 23, And all the kings of the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom which God had put in his heart. And each man brought his present articles of silver and gold garments, armor, spices, horses, and mules at a set rate um, a year. So here is Solomon that he has these individuals, the kings of the earth, who sought the wisdom of Solomon. And I think that verse 24 is kind of a sad comment at a set rate per year. In other words, he was charging them to hear godly wisdom. And I think that is sad when you read it because I know that the Word of God is free. The Word of God is free for us, and I always want to do everything that we can to get the Word of God into people and, and not to charge them. I know that we have to buy Bibles, and you know, but we want to give CDs away. We want the radio program to go out and, and for people to be blessed as much as we can. But the Word of God is free for us to take and to be able to give it to others. But Solomon here was the kings of, of the known world coming to see Solomon, and he was charging them a set rate every year. And I think that's kind of sad. In verse 25, Solomon had 4,000 stalls for horses and chariots and 12,000 horsemen who he stationed in the chariot and cities and with the king at Jerusalem. So he reigned over all the kings from the river to the land of the Philistines as far as the border of Egypt. And the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones, and he made cedar trees as abundant as the sycamores which are in the lowlands. And they brought horses to Solomon from Egypt and from all the lands. So here is Solomon, as we know, that he multiplied horses, he multiplied gold, and he also multiplied wives, didn't he? We know that Deuteronomy chapter 17, as I've mentioned to you, that they said when the king goes into the land and you ask for a king, he's not to multiply those three, three things. He's not to multiply gold for himself or horses or wives. And that's what Solomon did. Here is a man that had great wisdom of God, but yet he is doing foolish things in his life. So again, to remind you that wisdom isn't just having it here, but it's having it here in your heart and having it worked out in your life. And Solomon, as we know, and this is where I kind of got mixed up, and I apologize for that because I had a reference here in, in 1 Kings. But I want to just read to you from 1 Kings chapter 11. Chronicles doesn't mention 
that Solomon had 700 you know, wives and 300 concubines, but we know that he did, 1,000 wives and concubines. In chapter 11, let me just read it to you of 1 Kings, but King Solomon loved many foreign women as well as the daughter of Pharaoh. We, we know that First Chronicles tells us that he married the daughter of Pharaoh, not for spiritual reasons, but for political reasons, and he built a palace for her away from the city of David because the Ark of the Covenant was there. And remember that I talked about last week that it was Solomon at that point, he wasn't supposed to marry foreign wives as was told from the scriptures in the old testament that the lord said do not marry foreign wives and from the nations of whom the lord has said to the children of israel you shall not intermarry with them nor they with you surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods and solomon clung to these in love now when he married the the uh, the daughter of Pharaoh, he had her go outside the city of David. He still had conviction. Hey, the Ark of the Covenant is here. It's holy. So I'll kind of put her away, but he would lose that conviction. And it goes on to say about he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. So it was so that when Solomon was old, that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, after Milcom, or it might be Malcolm, um, in your, um, in your um, translation, or Moloch. Now, Moloch was the idol that they would actually sacrifice their children on the arms of Moloch there in the Valley of Gehenna. And here is Solomon burning incense to these false gods. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father David. Then Solomon built on high places for Shamash, the abomination of Moab on the hill that is east of Jerusalem. That's the Mount of Olives. And for Moloch, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives who, who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel who had appeared to him twice. So Solomon, he multiplied gold to himself. He multiplied horses to himself. He multiplied wives to himself when the Lord said not to. And he intermarried with foreign wives that took his heart away from the Lord. And here is a man known for his wisdom, but he was a fool because he ignored the word of the Lord given to him. Now, we know that Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, didn't he? He writes the book of Ecclesiastes. We're almost done. We'll be done in just a minute. And as he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, he says all these things, the riches, the wives, you know, the, the, all the knowledge, you know, that he had. It's all vanity is what he said. And the conclusion of it is to fear God and keep his commandments. So that's what Solomon says as he concludes that book. It's all vanity. But Paul the Apostle, he comes along, and I want to end with this. Because the rest of the chapter here, the last few verses, talks about the death of Solomon. Solomon, when he dies, 40 years of reign, had great prosperity, had great wealth, but yet he's going to leave the nation in idol worship, and he's going to leave the nation where it's about ready to divide because of that. David, when he died after 40 years of reigning, left the nation to where there was a great inheritance to the people and the future generation. He left the nation strong, strong spiritually and prosperous. So a couple things here. When the Lord takes us home, 
I know for me that I want to leave this church, Calvary Chapel, you know, if the Lord hasn't come back for us. But if he was to take me home, that where this church is strong spiritually and good health spiritually and united. And Lord, help me to do that, to lead this church in that way. And my family, and the people that he's given to me to minister to, what kind of heritage do you want to leave to your kids, to your family? A godly heritage is what I pray and hope, and I know that you do. But I also want to leave you with this verse as well. As Solomon realized all the wealth and all that was vanity, it did not bring satisfaction, it was empty. And here comes Paul the Apostle, you know, uh, a thousand years later. And Paul would write to the church at Rome, and he would say, to be carnally minded is death but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. If you're one that you're just pursuing the things of the world and wanting more of the world and the pleasures of the world, to be carnally minded is death. Your life is just going to have a stench of death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You want life and peace, and I think we all do, to be spiritually minded. And know that in him is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And know this, that Jesus said, come to me and drink, and come to me and eat, and that you will be satisfied. So Lord, we do ask that you would, Father, just help us to remember these things that are so very important, these lessons, that it isn't just things. When you bless us with what we have, whether it's seems to be a lot or little. Lord, we want to be good stewards of it. And we want to honor you with it. And Lord, we want to be ones that use it for your glory. But Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be carnally minded, but spiritually minded that brings life and peace into, to us and that abundant life that Jesus said that he wants us to have. Father, I just want to pray for tonight. Thank you for this text that we went over and all the lessons and Lord, I do pray that if there's anyone here or out there in a coffee shop that doesn't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, if by chance there's anybody in here that you have not surrendered your life to him, that Jesus, he is the author of eternal life. He is the one that died for you for your sins so that you might have forgiveness of sin, and the hope of heaven and know that he is your hope he is a living hope because he rose from the grave as Peter wrote and he loves you and apart from him there's no eternal life and certainly there'll be no true satisfaction in this life because this world doesn't have any real hope to give to you It's only Jesus. He is your hope and your salvation. So if you're here and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, would you give your life to him? Because today's the day of salvation. And it's recognizing that you are a sinner because the Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that Jesus Christ came and died for your sins on Calvary's cross. He made atonement. And he cried out from the cross, it is finished. I've I've paid the price, I've done the work. And 
that I provided forgiveness of sin. He validated what he did by rising from the grave and he's alive. Open your heart and let him in. And you pray that I am a sinner, Lord, and I ask that you would forgive me. I believe, Jesus, you died on Calvary's cross for my sin. And I believe that you're alive. And I now surrender my heart to you. I open my heart to you. My life is not my own. And thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for forgiving me and saving me. And help me to live for you all the days of my life. And if you prayed that prayer tonight, after we're done here, I want you to come up and tell me the decision you made, if that means anything to anyone. But Lord, what my prayer is as we finish tonight, thank you for for us being here. I pray you take everyone home and we would just continue on with you and that we would end our day by just giving you thanks. And Lord, give everybody rest tonight. I pray for those particularly who are working outside in the heat and or maybe don't have air conditioning at home. Lord, that you would help them in this, this hot weather that we're in. Sustain them and bless them. And keep those safe who are traveling this weekend. And Lord, I pray that you would just keep us close to you. Fill us with your love. Guide us and direct us in everything. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all of God's people said, Amen.